0: Alright, well let's look at, uh, we're looking at the book of Job, so why don't you turn your Bibles to Job chapter 2, and uh, if you need a lesson sheet, uh, does anybody need, anybody see, Corey, do you have you have a lesson sheet? Can, uh, Pat, can you get Corey a lesson sheet? Uh, anybody else need a lesson sheet? If you need a lesson sheet, we got it for you. Um, here's our, kind of our overview of where we are in Job, remember, and, and we're looking at what... Uh, What on earth and beyond is going on when all hell breaks loose? And we looked at that last week, and this week we're going to look at it again. You say, again? Didn't we just learn this last week? Yes, so did Job. And he, it happened again. All hell broke loose again. And remember, we're going to just ask, what in heaven is going on? What on earth is going on? And last week we looked at the first test, the loss of wealth. And this week, we're moving on to the second test here, and we're, we're going to enter in, in chapter 2, verse 1, back into the throne room. So I just kind of wanted to give you that as a, a, an overview of this exchange from heaven to earth, from heaven to earth. And we said, why? Why this structure? Because, first of all, you'll never understand what's going on on earth until you get a revelation from heaven. Without God revealing... What is going on in your life and in your suffering, you'll never figure it out without revelation. And what, how we respond to suffering on earth impacts what's going on in heaven. And sometimes we think we're all alone in suffering, but what goes on on earth impacts what's going on in heaven. So, okay, Audrey, thank you for that. Well, let's take a look. The facts are these. Sometimes all hell breaks loose and it moves on, for which we are thankful, right? It moves on. It hurts, it shocks us, it knocks us down, but we get up and move on. But sometimes, even though it's not supposed to, lightning does strike twice. And sometimes when it strikes, the damage it causes stays, it lingers. Misery can last for months and even years. And then we ask again, what on earth and beyond is going on when all hell breaks loose and lingers? That's a whole different question than what we discussed last week. Because, you know, no matter how bad something happens, when it happens... Uh, now you don't get over the loss of 10 kids overnight, I understand that, but it's over and now I can I, I, I begin to deal with that. But what happens when that loss, when that when, when, when what the devil and God allows comes into our lives and it just stays and it stays and it stays. Now that is a little different. So what on earth and beyond is happening when all hell breaks loose again? I almost entitled this lesson again. Period. Because literally, as we read chapter 2, everything we read in chapter 1 is going to be almost repeated word for word. And what I'm going to draw out for you is the differences that crop up. Because there's some really significant differences. Even though, if you read it quickly, the wording of chapter 2 seems identical to chapter 1. So let's take a look at it. Chapter 2, and let's read through verses one through ten, Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 in the book of Job. Again, see, there you go. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. Please remember, every time you read Satan, it literally is reading the adversary. The adversary. The Satan. The Lord said to The Satan, where have you come from? Then the Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to the Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Have we heard that before? Yeah. Third time now. But notice, here's something new. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. The Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and flesh. He will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to the Satan, behold, he is in your power only spare his life. Then the Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took a pot's herd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Okay, first question. What on earth is going on before all hell breaks loose again? Well, I want you to draw your attention. What happened right before this? Well, you go back to chapter 1, look at verses 20 through 22. This is what's going on. Yahweh's servant, Yahweh is is the Lord in all caps in your Bibles, Yahweh's servant is blessing Yahweh in the midst of undeserved adversity with blameless integrity. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. He passed the test. He lives with integrity in both prosperity and adversity. And so we see that Job is blessing the Lord. I want to play this video it captures what Job, uh, how Job passed the test of adversity. So, uh, Vicky, if you can hit those lights, see if you can say what this song says.
1: If you washed away my vanity. If you took away my words, if all my world was swept away, would you be enough for me? Would my beating heart still sing? If I
0: just powerful that's just powerful and that's what job said that's what job did naked i came naked i leave but what counts between my birth and my death is one thing am i god's and does god have me i'm still yours so that begs a question why a second test i mean didn't he pass it prosperity, I'm yours, adversity, I'm yours. So why the second test? I think that's very important to ask because you will go through hard times and you will make it through it and then you'll think, okay, now, hard time's over, easy street, I'm ready to go, Lord. Whoa, that was close. I didn't think I would make it, but I'm okay now. It's all downhill now. Or uphill, I don't know, mountaintop. I just don't want any more problems. And then lightning strikes Twice. And this time it stays. Why the second test? Let me give you three quick answers. Number one, life is warfare. Life is warfare and warfare is repeated battles even though Jesus has won the war. Don't get duped by the devil into thinking we are having an easy life. We're in warfare. Warfare is repeated battles. We should not be surprised that Job had a second test. In fact, we're going to see he's going to have a third test, his wife. He's going to have a fourth test. His friends. Life is warfare. Don't expect the Christian life to be easy. Number two, pride is blind. Pride is blind. The adversary's proud heart blinds him to the reality of true worship and the victory of Jesus. He gets defeated. Now, humility would come back to heaven and say, Wow, I got that wrong, God. You were right. That's not what the devil and unbelief does. Pride says, that wasn't fair. We didn't test him far enough. Pride is blind. The devil is defeated, but he won't give up until Jesus comes, binds him, and casts him into the lake of fire. And then the ultimate reason that there's a second test is because God is God. Because, see, ultimately, it wasn't the adversary who said, we're going to do this again. Ultimately, it was God who allowed it. Ultimately, it's God who's going to challenge again. God is God. Why did Job have to go through this again and this time go through it at a level that is really beyond Human understanding, because his judgments are wise, but they're unsearchable. Because his ways are gracious, but they're unfathomable. Because of Romans 11, our God, everything is for him, from him, and through him. We can't figure it out. We just trust him. So that's what's going on on earth before all hell breaks loose again. But what's happening in heaven before all hell breaks loose again? For that, we will look at verses 1 through 6. What on earth is happening before? First, look at verse 1. The background is the same as we saw previously. Uh, Once again, we're in the throne room of heaven where God himself is conducting his divine counsel with his angelic servants. They are presenting themselves before Him. That means they are standing in submission to Him and they are reporting to Him how His purposes, kingdom purposes, are advancing on the planet. Hey, here's what's going on. Again, not because God doesn't know or cannot see for Himself. It's just that He works through His angelic messengers and and they come and they receive further marching orders and they report to Him how things are Progressing, But notice in verse 1, also, the adversary comes, and we get new information about him. This time, it says, he presents himself before the Lord, too. Very interesting. What's that mean? God's servants present themselves, and now the adversary. You know what that tells us? The adversary is a servant of the Lord, whether he wants to be or not. Are you with me? Did you see that? See, he was let loose. Go, go do what you want to do to Job, but you can't touch him. But he has to come and report. He has to come give an account. Let me give you three things that the Bible is reminding us here by saying that Satan also presented himself before the Lord. The Bible is reminding us that Satan is not God's equal. This isn't dualism. This isn't Near Eastern... Uh, New Ageism where there's a, a yin and a yang and they're always struggling. No, this is Yahweh who sits on the throne and evil must report to Him. They're not equal. God is sovereign. The adversary is not. Second thing is Satan must give an account of himself and his actions to the sovereign judge. Isn't that good news? Now you say, now nah, why does God allow that? I, I don't, I don't like that. Well, listen, the alternative is he doesn't report to God and he's just loose out there. Understand this, whatever the devil brings into your life to discourage and defeat you, it is not sovereign and it is not without God's permission and accountability. That is good news. And it's the Lord he reports to. Not some distant God of Islam, but Yahweh, the promise keeper, the redeemer, the I am who I am, the one who is for us, not against us. That's all good news. And then the third thing is to remind us that nothing happens from the adversary's hand that doesn't first pass through God's hand, which is more powerful, more purposeful, and more compassionate. This is all good news. So what happens? The adversary presents himself, and Yahweh again initiates the challenge. That's your word there. Again, Yahweh challenges the adversary to consider the blameless integrity of his servant Job. That's what happens in verse 2. Where have you come from? And we we talked last week. What have you been up to? Where have you been and what have you been up to? Not seeking information, not seeking location, but surfacing the motivation of the adversary. And the adversary answers. He answers prowling. He, he, He says roaming and looking all over the earth. And last week, you can go back to last week's lesson, prowling all over the planet like a predator looking for prey. In other words, I've been up to no good. So, number two, again, Yahweh challenges the adversary's purpose on earth with a question about Job's integrity. He says, oh, so you've been down there doing destructive things, trying to tempt my people. Well, have you checked out the tallest tree in the forest? Have you checked out Job? Remember, I let you attack him. Remember, you, you, you questioned his motives. How's Job doing? And here's what God says. There's no one like him. And he says the exact words. Why? Because Job's integrity hasn't changed. Job's integrity is not based on his prosperity. Job's integrity is not based on his adversity. It's based on God's worthiness, and God was still worthy. But there is new information. Notice what he says in verse 3. Probably one of the hardest verses, sentences in the whole Bible, and, and definitely in Job. He repeats about his blameless integrity, but look at the last part of verse three. And he still holds fast his integrity. Yahweh challenges the adversary, uh, the adversary's perse- persecution of Job, with a statement about Job's blameless integrity. This last verse can be translated two ways, so uh, we're going to get into a little... Okay, don't freak out on me. Hang with me. There are kind of two ways to translate this. I have both ways there in in your notes. Uh, One way is the New American Standard, and he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. In other words, he didn't deserve it. There was no cause in him. He didn't sin. That's not why this suffering came. Or, as the Net Bible translates it, and he still holds fam- f- firm firmly to his integrity, so that you stirred me up to destroy him without reason. See, Satan said, there was a reason. He's selfish. And he's worshiping you because of how you protected him. And God says, no, we've proven that wrong. There was not just cause or reason. Now, what's going on in this sentence? Well, I can't fully explain it for you, but I can give you some insights. First of all, notice that God says he still holds fast. This is a great word picture. In other words, adversity came, and Job's integrity, his grip on his integrity didn't loosen. It got tighter. Whoa. See, we want miracles, don't we? When suffering comes, we want miraculous deliverance. And a greater miracle of God is when he gives us grace to hold tighter to him in the storm rather than removing the storm. This guy's integrity held faster, tighter, firmer. But then it says this, and he did it even though he suffered without cause. There wasn't a reason for it. And, as a result, what he experienced was without reason because he didn't need selfish motives to be purified. He didn't need refining. He was already blameless. This is powerful stuff. God's saying to Satan, you lost. You lost. But then we come to the last part of the sentence. God makes clear that he's in ultimate control You incited me to ruin him without cause. Ultimately, I gave approval for that. But the adversary is still directly responsible for his own evil purpose of trying to destroy Job. Read that last sentence. You incited me, devil. Get your head... I mean, try to get your head around that. You're looking at a sentence says God is sovereign over all, even what evil happens, and yet He's not directly responsible for it. And yet, He shows that He has a purpose and a reason, and it's not always related to sin. Here's how one commentator put it. Let me read you this quote. God's purpose in what He permitted is righteous. Satan's purpose in what He pursued was evil. Satan did not move God to do anything morally evil. The secondary means employed to destroy Job, foreknown and permitted by God, were the product of Satan's evil schemes and man's evil nature. To devastate Job without provocation was undesirable, but it was not unjust." It's the prerogative of sovereignty to remove without cause what has been freely given without cause. Job acknowledged this and did not sin or blame God with wrong when he did. Now, that's just heavy stuff. But it's right there in the Bible. And you can't explain it away. You can't make it like, oh, it's it's, it's always the death. No, God is in control. Okay, that's what's happening in heaven. Well, that's God's challenge to him. Well, look, at, look in your notes. Again, the adversary criticizes the motivation behind Job's blameless integrity with more slanderous attacks. Again, the adversary criticizes the motivation behind Job's blameless integrity. And here's what he does. Number one, again, the adversary accuses Yahweh's servant and Yahweh himself of still being selfish, of being selfish. How? How? By attacking their motivation. And here's what he says in verse 4. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. Now, that little sentence, skin for skin, it's like a proverb. Nobody knows what it means. Okay, I could give you all the options. I'd take five minutes, give you the options, give you what I think it is. But the bottom line is, no one really knows what it means. And you say, well, see there, there's a problem with the Bible. No, Scripture interprets Scripture. We don't know exactly what that means, but the next sentence explains it. Okay, look at the next sentence. All that a man has, he will give for his life. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, sure, Job passed that test because you didn't let me touch him. Now, is that not the height of slander and selfishness? What he's saying is, well, sure, Job's praising you. Job's saying, Eh, my kids, take them. My servants, by the thousands, slaughter them. Take all my possessions. I don't care. As long as you don't touch me, I love you. Very interesting, isn't it? All that a man has, he'll give for his life. That phrase, all that a man has is repeated three times in chapter 1. And basically, Satan is saying to God, you didn't let me touch him. Because at the core, this man is selfish. He's worshiping you because you're not letting me touch him. And so look at number two. Again, the adversary arrogantly orders Yahweh to reach out his hand and destroy Job's health. Destroy Job's health to reveal the true motives of his heart. Yes, you let me take his wealth, but he's a selfish man who will curse you to your face if you let me take his health. Now, stop for a moment. In other words, Satan is saying people will sacrifice their wealth to maintain their health. And that's true. Insurance business there, insurance business, isn't that true? A lot of people will do that. The question is, will Job do that? Will Job say, look, as long as you don't touch me, I'll worship you. But if you touch me, I'm going to turn on you. The adversary says, put forth your hand. Touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. So again, the question of motivation is raised. So here's the question again. This is the heart of the gospel according to Job. The selfish motivation of the prosperity gospel... Or the sacrificial motivation of the persevering gospel. That's the question of motivation that's raised by the devil. The selfish motivation of the prosperity gospel says, God, I'll worship you as long as things go my way. As long as you give me what I want and things work out like I want them to. The persevering gospel says, Lord, I'll sacrifice everything, even myself, to worship you because you're worth it. You're worthy. You're worthy. Wow, heavy stuff. So, once again, Yahweh gives the adversary consent to reach out His hand. His hand, not, not, not God's hand. I'll give you permission to do the evil you want to do. But it's not me doing it. It's you doing it. But I do give my consent. Look at verse 6. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power, only spare his life. So that's what's going on in heaven before. Now, let's look at number three. What on earth is happening when all hell breaks loose again? Two sentences. One sentence actually sums it up. Then, say, look at verse 7. Job chapter 2, verse 7. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Last time, he, he, he waited. He waited for a perfect opportunity. This time, he couldn't wait. Because this is ultimately Satan's desire. Listen to me. This is ultimately Satan's desire is to destroy God's people. It is to destroy, kill, murder, and end the life of God's people. He doesn't care about possessions. He doesn't care about... The goal is destruction. And the second, he he swiftly attacks. Number one, the adversary swiftly attacks Job with a serious skin disease from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Here's what it says. With sore boils. And actually, in, in the Hebrew, it's boil. It's singular. From the soul of... so. Don't think of a bunch of multiple. Just think of your entire body being a boil. Okay, now, I'm getting really grimacing looks, and we haven't even gotten to the symptoms yet, okay? So let's look at this. What, what, first of all, what's the first question we ask? What was this, right? Or Definitely the medical people. The diagnosis is inconclusive. That should give encouragement, because a lot of times what we're suffering physically, humans don't know. It's inconclusive. It's some sort of malignant skin disease that covered the bottoms of his feet to the top of his head. There's been suggestions that go as from smallpox to some form of leprosy, to melanoma, to diabetes, to uh, you name it, and everything in between. It's something. and, And isn't it interesting that Satan said skin for skin and the disease is on the skin? Here's what we know. The symptoms are hideous. Now, I've listed, gone through the whole book of Job, looked at all the symptoms. Here's 18 different symptoms that he experienced. Now, what we don't know, just like when you suffer, we don't know, is it just one illness Or is it complications from the one illness? Or does the one illness bring on another illness that then brings on? And also, if you look at those symptoms, there's a mixture of physical, emotional, and mental, and we're going to see in a minute, there's social implications of all this. Last week, there was a debate on creationism between Ken Ham and Bill Nye, the science guy. And it's really worth your time. It's free. It's on YouTube, two and a half hours. You don't have to watch it all to see what I'm going to say. But to see the two worldviews of a reasonable man who lives by human reason and a closed system that doesn't have God and everything's logical and and scientific versus a man with a worldview where God intervenes. And I, I'm saying to you that we approach... Sickness in a mechanical, scientific fashion. And when we do that, we miss that almost always, especially with lingering sickness, almost always there is involved mental, emotional, and physical, and social things that go together. And all around that is a spiritual element of this warfare that's going on. So, I've said it before if our only hope is men and medicine, we are, of all people, hopeless. So, here's what he's going through. I mean, look at it itching loss of appetite, ulcerous sores, oozing, maggots, worms coming out of those sores, depressing fears and anxieties, dark circles around his eyes, foul breath, extreme weight loss, relentless searing pain deep to the bone, blackening, scaling, cracking, falling off skin, burning figure, a disfiguration. Listen, if you think that picture of Job that we're using for this series is kind of like, oh, turn away, It isn't even close to what this man looked like. His own friends from a distance couldn't recognize him, and it lingered for many months. So what What do we see here? Look at your notes. Job receives a lingering sickness that could lead to death. Now we know, listen, we know in heaven that it won't, right? Does Job know that? Does Job know that? Job does not know that. Job thinks, I'm going to die. In fact, what happens is, it lingers and he says, I wish I could die, because this is hell on earth. And so, what's interesting is, the test has accelerated. You see, the first test, Satan took everything away from him. It was a a, a, a trial of loss. But on this test he receives something that stays okay do you see the difference loss is hard loss can cause you to forsake god but when something you receive something in your body and it stays that is an escalation now just one more thought on this this idea of boils from the head to the toe is repeated in Deuteronomy and it's seen as God's cursing. Okay? It's the, it's the judgment, it's the judgment that God put on Egypt, and it's the judgment that God said to Israel, listen, if you if you forsake me, I'm going to give the judgment of Egypt on you, and you're going to have boils from the from the, the soles of your feet to the crown of your head. Now step back. Satan's no dummy. He is one wicked wicked, scheming, deceptive individual. God gave him permission to pick any to do anything he wanted to Job except don't take his life. And Satan picked a disease that would that he knew in scripture God would use to curse people. Do you, do you get is God cursing Job? Answer me. Is Satan cursing Job, attacking Job? Yes. Who is he making it look like? Making it look like God. So what do you think Job? Job? You know, here's Job saying, wait a minute. This is what God does to people he hates. But I know he doesn't hate me. He loves me. I got attention. And then his friends, his wife, the people around him, wait a minute. That's what God does to his enemies. You must be His enemy, you must have forsaken him. Did they know that? No, they did not know that. Satan's wicked, isn't he? Wicked, wicked, wicked. So, what happens afterwards? Number four, what on earth is happening after all hell breaks loose? Look at verses 8 through 10. Verses 8 through 10. God's blameless servant experiences sickness With acts of physical relief and personal grief. Look at verse 8. He experiences his sickness with acts of physical relief and personal grief. He took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Now, what's going on with that? Job's sickness, for a variety of reasons, because it looks like, because it is so unclean and seemingly maybe even ungodly, he is he is sent out to the garbage dump, the ash heap. And there in the garbage dump, just like an our garbage dump, things that are broken and no longer useful are found. And so pots are found there and there's a broken piece of pottery. And Job is sitting there with this itching, oozing, sore from head to foot. And have you ever had something itch really bad? Don't tell me where. Don't, don't share that with your neighbor. Have you ever had something itch really bad? And boy... You want to itch it and you know you shouldn't, but you have to because it is driving you nuts. And when you do, it hurts, but that pain covers up the itch and there's relief in the pain. Tell me I'm not the only, only person. That's what he's doing. He's getting physical. They didn't have medicine back then. And then he is sitting on the ash heap mourning his sickness and his suffering. That's what the ash heap is. Listen to this. The ash heap was where the city garbage was deposited and burned, and there the city rejects lived, begging alms from whoever passed by. At the ash heap, dogs fought over something to eat, and the city's dung and refuse was brought and burned. The city's leading citizen is now living in abject poverty and shame. Heavy on that word, shame. What shame he suffered, simply due to his sickness, just as Satan had planned. Now, here is what I want to give you: some application. This is powerful stuff. Let's sit with Job on the ash heap of ling- lingering sickness. I think there is at least four, four uh, lessons we learn. And if you have ever suffered lingering sickness, or you are suffering that now, or you have a loved one, please understand. They're sitting on the ash heap. Okay, let's look at it. First of all, when we sit with Job on the ash heap of lingering sickness, physical, emotional, mental, and social, here's some implications. Number one, we experience personal isolation. Personal isolation. See, here's the deal. The garbage dump was out there. It was out there, away from the hustle and bustle of life. And that's what sickness does. It isolates you. In fact, when you get sick, you have a tendency to put yourself on the ash heap of isolation of your own free will. Job very well may have said, I'm going to the garbage dump because that's how I feel. Life stinks right now, so I might as well sit in the stink. Lingering sickness has a way of turning us inward, causing us to isolate ourselves from others. So here's the application. That's why visiting the sick is so important. Because they feel isolated. They feel alone. And we need to go visit them. Number two, we experience on the ash heap of lingering sickness, profound separation, or even you could put rejection. See, the possibility is Job didn't go to the ash heap on his own. He might have been carried there by the community who said, we don't want you around us. You see, people with lingering sickness suffer on the ash heap of separation against their will due to lingering sickness. How's that work in our life? You ever heard of ICU? That's the ash heap of isolation, of separation. Of, you know, anybody volunteering? Hey, I think I'll hang out at ICU today. No, you go there, you're sent there. You're sent there. Or sometimes you're under quarantine, or we may spend time on the ash heap of the chemo room where the only fellowship is other sufferers with the same cruel sickness. That's why staying in contact with the sick is so important because our sickness drives us away. From life, you, you, you know what that is. You're there, and you're like outside. Everything's happening, but I have feel rejected. We need to stay in contact. Number three, on the ash heap of lingering sickness, we experience powerful humiliation. Powerful humiliation. You see, the ash heap was an unclean place of humiliation, often considered a place of condemnation, even. Listen to Job 19. Let me take you to Job 19, verses 13 through 20. Look at Job 19, 13 through 20. This is what he's feeling. And not feeling, this is what he's experiencing. Look at Job 19, verse 13. He has removed my brothers far from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed, and my intimate friends have forgotten me. Those who live in my house and my maids consider me a stranger. I'm a foreigner in their sight. I call to my servant, but he doesn't answer. I have to implore him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife, and I'm loathsome to my own brothers. Even young children despise me. I rise up, and they speak against me. All my associates abhor me, and those I love have turned against me. My bones cling to my skin and my flesh, and I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Lingering sickness can put us on the ash heap of humiliation where we have to rely on others to feed us, to bathe us, and to even help us go to the bathroom. Lingering sickness can be humiliating. And sometimes people condemn us, thinking they had to have done something wrong. But here's good news. First Samuel 2.8 He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he sets the world on them. God can raise you from the ash heap of humiliation. But we must humble ourselves. Number four, we experience painful desolation. Painful desolation, confusion, I don't care. The idea is the ash heap is a place of broken things, unclean things, unwanted things, unused things, and even unsafe things. And Job is there. So what does he do? What do you do when you're on the ash heap of lingering sickness? Here's what Job does. He not only gets physical relief, he not only seeks physical relief and expresses personal grief, but look at God's blameless servant expresses his submission, his submission with words of acceptance. Listen to me. All this he is experiencing not having a clue what God is up to, not having a clue what the devil is doing to him, and he says these words. Well, first, his wife comes to encourage him. Okay? We'll talk about her next week. Verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, we'll talk about this next week, but do you realize her wording is a quote from God and Satan put together. God's already said in heaven, He holds fast His integrity. She goes, Are you still going to hold fast your integrity? Satan's already said, Curse God and die. She's mouthing advice that combines God and Satan together in a very discouraging way. Now here's what Job says to her. You speak as one of the foolish wisdom wi- women speaks. I'm not calling you a fool, wife, but you're talking like one. You're talking about like a person who doesn't know God. You're talking about like a person who's turned away from God. That's foolishness. Fear God, and here's what he says. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not adversity? Whoa. That strikes at the heart of the prosperity gospel. What's the prosperity gospel say? Always get good from God. And if there's bad, it's coming from Satan, and just deny that, reject that, and it'll all go away. And here's what he says. Shall we not accept prosperity and adversity from one God who is good, gracious, and wise, and all-powerful? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Well, there's more we can say. Here's the bottom line. What on earth is happening when all hell breaks loose again? God is still displaying His glory through what Job said, and He's still defeating the adversary. The the devil lost again, and God is glorified as a God who is worthy to be praised even when adversity lingers on. So, I sat and I studied that, and I got to this point, and I asked myself, So what does that mean for you and I? And I have five truths that we need to take away from this powerful story. And the first is this. Seeking medical or physical relief when there's lingering sickness is not a lack of trust in the Lord. When all you've got is a broken piece of pottery to get relief, then you grab the broken piece of pottery. We should thank God that we have medicines, and men and women dedicated that can bring relief. And that is not a lack of trust in God. Even Paul said to Timothy, stop drinking just water and take a little wine for your stomach. Number two, feelings of separation and shame often surface that need consoling from God's people when there's lingering sickness. Listen, short personal visits, physical touch, Constant prayer with the person. A word of scripture. Comfort foods brought. Bring encouragement to those who are feeling isolated, rejected, and humiliated on the ash heap of lingering sickness. I cannot express to you how a a meal of comfort food is such an expression. Number three comforting the sick though calls for wisdom in speaking hope and offering help. Notice what Proverbs says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. That's good. But look at the next proverb. Singing cheerful songs for a person with a heavy heart is like taking a coat off them in the middle of freezing Kansas City weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. You got to be wise. You got to be wise. I can, you know, I, I can tell. You know, sometimes Being lighthearted lifts somebody, and sometimes you get a look that says, I don't need that right now. Now, some of you, out of fear, will not do anything wrong. Always wrong. Fear is always wrong. Out of faith, do the best, and then just know, oh, hey, I don't think that really comforted you just there. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? How would you? What will comfort me? They'll tell you. And it might be, go away for now. Okay, but I'm coming back. I'm letting you know I'm coming back. Number four, suffering such illness is never outside of God's sovereign purposes of displaying His glory and showing His mercy. Listen, we are so quick in this society to alleviate pain and suffering and ending lives. And we miss that God gets glory. And there's mercy that's shown through long, lingering suffering. I don't want it. You don't want it, but when it comes, we receive it. Job didn't take this, he received it. And when we receive it, we need to understand God will get glory and He will show mercy. And then number five, accepting such adversity with a surrendered heart always glorifies God and demonstrates our faith in a wise, in His wise and gracious purposes. If, if just, here's what we need to do. We need to pray for a spirit of acceptance when we're in the ash on the ash heap of lingering sickness and suffering a spirit of acceptance and trust in a sovereign god amen and it happens through community it happens through visiting it happens through caring and showing mercy and not avoiding the person on the ash heap of lingering sickness let's pray Father we we're, we're in deep we're in so deep of the mystery of your purposes that we can't even fathom it on this Sunday morning, but you can because your son went out to the ash heap and took our sins and the sins of the world and you died and suffered humiliation, rejection, separation desolation, confusion, isolation. And then came Sunday. And you were lifted from the ashy to sit at the right hand of the Father. And Lord, that's why we put our trust in you. Because you've been through it. And you go through it. And you allow it for your purposes. So I pray, Lord, we will be a people that will encourage acceptance with a spirit of of warfare and that we will fight to accept what God allows and we would disarm the enemy with our faith and we would disarm the enemy with our trust in you. May we hold tighter in our suffering and not loosen our grip on you. And we'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.